mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bible with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to enter into a time just kind of a sidebar away from 1 John. Uh, we'll pick that up after the holiday season. It is Christmas time again, so we want to talk about Christmas. We want to talk about what the time of the year really means. Now, don't send me any emails or anything. Uh, I want you to understand that Christmas time is about celebrating the birth of Jesus, I understand that Jesus was born probably September, October. What I always tell every time, every, every year, I do about the same message, something close in Luke. And I just want you to understand that as witnesses for Christ, this is one of the greatest times of the year for us. Now, we witness for Christ all year long, but at Christmas, people are more open to hearing about Jesus. In fact, the argument about everything is going on. Don't enter into the fray about the argument. Be a witness for Christ. Be a light for Christ. Listen to me. The truth is, is that the greatest gift ever given, that's the title of my message. I never title my messages because then you kind of tighten yourself down into a box, but the greatest gift ever given. Have you opened that gift? Wait a minute, let's back up a step. Have you received that gift? The Bible tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own nation. Salvation is for the Jew first and then to the Greek. He came to his own nation, and they didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. They didn't, they didn't confess him. They did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And his name, of course, is his authority his character, his nature, his will. It's not just that it's a name, but there's something that stands in that name that you must understand, that you're coming back into the Father's house. You're coming back underneath the authority of God. And the only way to do that is in the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. So as I begin to do, you know, Christmas is not about Santa Claus. It's just simply not. It's not about Santa Claus. It's about Jesus. It's about this great gift that's given. But, but there's a system out there in the world, the, the Antichrist system, that wants to cover up and erase and get rid of all the truth of God. So the first Christmas tree was a cross. My story, I get to tell it, I'm preaching. 
Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, the Bible tells us. And so the light of the world comes down and decorates the first tree with his body. The red was the blood of Jesus. And it, and it wasn't packages underneath the tree. The greatest gift that was ever given hung on a tree for you and me so that we could have salvation and return to the Father's house and not have to go to hell. What a gift that is. Have you received it? Now, to be tedious, are you opening it? See, the God of the universe wrapped himself in flesh and came and died on a tree for us. He decorated it, the light of the world, and you have to unwrap it. Have you, what have you done this last year? See, every year I do the same message, and so then you have a whole year of your life to go unwrap Get the flesh off and see the deity of Jesus. See what the salvation of God is. Unwrap that package of the greatest gift. And as you're unwrapping that package, you know what you're doing? You're taking your own flesh off. And you're being wrapped in Christ and becoming more like him. So that you can, he can give you away to the world. So that you can go out as a light to others and be a witness about what you found out. That's why I always encourage you to get into the word prayer and fellowship. When you're learning and growing, you'll definitely be going to others and giving them the gospel. But when you're caught up, when you're wrapped up in self, you could care less about others. When you're wrapped up in self, you're not worried about truth. You're just worried about how you feel. When you're wrapped up in self, you're not concerned about your neighbor. You're only take, taking care of yourself. And that's the worst gift you could ever give to anybody is show up and be wrapped up in self and be I, 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 me, 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 and all you are is flesh. Nobody wants to hear that. But so many people are wrapped up in themselves, their life, their career, what they're doing, what they're, and you're supposed to be giving them Jesus especially as a Christian, especially as somebody who says, I've received that gift. I always give the same joke every year. I have a package on a shelf in my closet that my daughter gave me. I, well, how many years has it been now? Seven years ago, maybe. I didn't open it. They've even tricked me. They've, re, they've rewrapped it and put it underneath the tree again, hoping I would open it. Still haven't opened it. I peeked years ago, and I knew what it was. It's a little putting game for golf. I don't golf anymore, so it's not really needed. I golfed when she gave it to me, but I just never opened it. Yeah, Mark's shaking his head no because he's seen me golf, and that's not called golf. It's called baseball. So listen to me. So many people say, now, I said a prayer. I received Jesus. Really? Did you open the package? Or are you rejecting the God that's inside the package? See, just to say one prayer is not enough. If you said one prayer, then there's a package to open. There's an inheritance that's been given. There's a son that was born. A son that was given as the greatest gift ever. And so many people... They say, oh, I believe in Jesus, oh, I receive Jesus, but they never open the package. It comes with batteries included. The Holy Spirit is there. 
The Holy Spirit is included. All the power you need to live a dynamic life for Christ is included in the gift if you'll surrender yourself, unwrap yourself from your flesh, and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and begin to live for Him. Enter into what He's doing, which is the salvation of souls. It's the only ministry, the only service you'd ever need to have is to give yourself away to others so that they will see Jesus and come to salvation as you have. So, have you been unwrapping this gift that keeps on giving? He gave himself away. He came for this purpose. He hung on a tree and died for you and me. Have you received him? In Luke, Luke is a doctor. I don't know if you guys know that. Luke is a doctor. Doctors were mainly slaves in biblical times. So Luke had a master. And on, on the third missionary journey, Paul shows up and has a condition in his eyes, I believe. And Dr. Luke treats him. Dr. Luke gets saved. Dr. Luke begins to go on missionary journeys, being given his freedom from Theophilus, we're going to see in the text. Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which is sometimes called the fifth gospel. See, because he was a doctor. He was analytical. You're going to see that one of the main words that we need to understand is the word eyewitness. The word eyewitness in this text is the word autopatia. It's the word we get the word autopsy from. When a body is dead, we do an autopsy on it. Not always, but most of the time. And we study all the facts and we record it and we write it all down. And that's what the doctor here is doing right now. He's given us an autopatia of the facts and findings and everything about the body of Christ. He tells us everything that he can find out, and he is there at the time, and he writes it down analytically. He gives us more of the humanity of Christ than any of the other uh, Gospels, because he's a doctor. You're going to see, I mean, if you would go through the whole, the whole uh, book of Luke, which we're not, we're just going to cover the birth of Jesus, uh, the announcement, and the birth. Uh, you would find that he talks about sicknesses, and when he talks about them, he gives you what they were. He tells you the condition. He tells you the thing, because he's more analytical. I can relate to him because my brain is like that. So Luke writing, and I just want to give you this because it's the key verse really um, of the book of Luke, which is chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, where it says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me just give you the paraphrase of it. He came to, well, I can give you all of it. Um, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, all of us are born lost. All of us are born dead. All of us are born into this world needing a Savior. And God sent his Son, wrapped him in flesh to come down here and give him as a gift. He came to seek and to save. And then he sends us to seek and to save. He sends us out as little lights. 
We're supposed to be discipled and become learners of him and learn what he's doing and go out and give ourselves away. Wrap ourselves in his righteousness and then give ourselves away to others by telling them what? Telling them what the contents of the gift are. The word of God, the truth of God, the salvation of God. It doesn't matter what they want for Christmas. You know, you go, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Listen, we all need the gift of life because we're born dead. So you might, you might think you need something else, but if a true Christian shows up and gives you the word of God, you're going to receive what you needed from God or at least be presented with it on your plate to where you have to sup with God or you can reject God. You can reject the word of God. You can reject this gift. And so many people have. So many people have rejected this gift. And I don't even mean on purpose. Many will reject the gift and say, well, I said a prayer, that's enough. It's not enough. If you meant the prayer, then there's sanctification process. There's evidence that your resurrected life, you get up from the grave because you were born dead spiritually and you raise up from the grave and you begin to go out and be led by the Spirit if you've received the gift. There's a whole lot to learn. You become as a child again if you open this gift and you learn what it means to be a child of God in the house of God for the glory of God. Because see, Adam and Eve were in the house of God, walking in fellowship with God, but they rejected God, and they, and they chose to follow another government. They chose to follow another authority. And God removed them from his house, and therefore we're all born with that same sin nature. But you have a chance today to receive that gift but if you receive that gift, it's not just a, okay, I got the letter in the mail. It's not just an, okay, thanks a lot. I think I'll re-gift this. I think I'll give it back to somebody else. No, you got to receive it, learn it, open it, and then go out and be that gift to others by laying down your life, by choosing to change your mind, by choosing to believe that God is real and God is true by faith. It's a free gift of God. As Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, by grace you are saved, through, or by faith you are saved through grace, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So as we do this, you know, I'm in the New King James. There's a whole lot of versions uh, of the Bible and they continue to change the word. I don't know if you're aware that in order to write a new Bible, even the same company has to change so many words because of copyright laws in the world. And so the word of God keeps being attacked. That The gift that was given is the word of God. And it keeps getting attacked. And that's what was happening in the garden. Did God really say? The devil would say to Eve. And so now you have a, a, a Bible, and you're like, is this really the Word of God? Isn't that the biggest argument? Oh, that's not the Word of God. Man's messed that all up. And that was written by man. That wasn't written by God. And everybody attacks the Word of God. Why? Because he sent his Word to heal the land. Why? Because it's all contained here in the Bible. And no matter how much they mess it up, listen, you can't mess up the name. Salvation in no other name. And I want to look at the names this morning and then look at the introduction of John the Baptist. But listen to me. When you look at your Bible, there's much more to unwrap. 
Listen, you can be saved by reading the surface. You can read the words. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and you can be saved like that. But if you're really saved, you want to know more. You want to unwrap the package. You want to see what's going on. What did you save me for? What did you call me for? What am I supposed to do? Because see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just give you Jesus. Then he gives you gifts. He gives you talents and ability. He gives you resources to go out and live this life. And it's not a one-time prayer. Now I get to go do what I want to do. Christmas is over. Let's get back to normal. Sunday service. Now let's go back to the real world. No, this is your life. If you give your life to Jesus, you're now back into fellowship with the Father, with God. You're now betrothed to, to the Son. And, and you're now the bride, and you're supposed to be adorning yourself, preparing yourself for, for the wedding to be consummated, the wedding supper of the Lamb. What bride says, I do, and then walks away and doesn't? That's why marriage is under attack. Because it gives you a false picture of Christ in the church. But as a bride, what does that bride do? I do, I will, I will marry you. And then the next year or the betrothal period all the way till the date is spent losing weight, preparing, looking right, getting right, doing everything. So when you walk down that aisle, all eyes are on you and you're at your best. Well, the only way to be at your best is to die to self. The only way to be at your best is to open the package because Christ is everything you need to be adorned and clothed in his righteousness to be a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. It has to be through Christ and what he's already done. It's finished on the cross. Do you trust him for that? Positionally, it's finished. Practically, you're walking it out. If you believe it in your heart, you'll continue to open the package. Anybody been opening up the gift this year? Is it still wrapped, sitting on your shelf? Anybody been reading your Bible, getting into the Word, getting into prayer, getting into fellowship? Anybody been obeying God this year? Listen, you can't say, okay, I got the gift, now I get to make it what I want to make it. I got the gift, now I get to do what I want to do. I got the gift, now I get to add some gadgets to it and some things to it. You have to receive it the way it's given, in love. You love him because he first loved you. And then you give yourself away by surrendering, humbling yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. So the names, I'm going to give you the short version of my greatest gift ever given. I usually give you that, you know, like last year, $68 million of gift cards were not cashed in. You ever get a gift card? You ever leave $1.50 on it? You ever leave 18 cents on it? About $68 million last year were not cashed in because of that. Greatest gift ever given and everybody, I mean, think about how, that's why those are everywhere. That's why those gift cards are everywhere because retailers get paid with those. A lot of them say if you don't do it within a certain day and you don't use it within a certain day, they start taking fees. So it's laying on somebody's counter and they take $5 a month out of that card and pretty soon somebody bought you a $200 gift card and you didn't use it at all and the company got all the money back because you ignored the gift that was given to you. The 
the greatest gift ever given. Luke chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we certainly know that there's a spirit of Antichrist that's in the world that would deceive the elect if it were possible, that wants us to pretend in religion, wants us to, to, to pray, and wants us to not believe. There's a spirit that wants us to feel good about ourselves and never do it according to your word. There's a spirit that wants us to play and pretend and go through the motions, but never surrender and open the gift that you've given us. Lord, we don't want to be a part of that form of godliness that denies the power. We want to be those that are led by your spirit because we know for as many as are led by your spirit, these are the children of God. Lord, we want to be your offspring. We want to be like you. So we ask you, Lord, to help us understand what your word would say to us today. Help us to receive that gift and clearly open it and enjoy it and be free and bold to walk in it because of your clothing upon us. Thank you for clothing us in your perfect righteousness. Thank you that we can stand perfectly blameless before your throne room, white as snow, because we came and reasoned with you. And we believe in your son, Jesus. Thank you for that gift. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, let me give you the short version of names. I'm a, I'm a, a person who looks up the words in the Bible. I study the Bible. I dig deep in the Bible. And if you mess up the testimony and the theology of the Bible, it's still contained in the words of the Bible and the names of the Bible. Say, for instance, in Luke 1, we're going to be introduced to some characters here. We're going to be introduced to um, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Herod. We're going to be introduced to uh, John, that we now call him John the Baptist. I do know people that call him John the Immerser because of the Baptist movement. They don't like calling him Baptist anymore uh, because then it sounds like he's only for them. So they say John the Immerser. Uh, one guy I hear on the radio all the time says that uh, just to try to make sure you know that he's not lifting up something that he shouldn't be. Uh, we're going to be introduced to uh, Gabriel who's an archangel that stands before God. We're going to be introduced to Joseph and Mary, and of course, baby Jesus in a manger. This is what Christmas is all about, the birth of Jesus, the greatest gift that was ever given. But why do I tell you that? And it can go, it can go a lot uh, larger than what I do, but I just want you to get the short version here, that God has written the gospel in the names. Every name means something. Every name in the Bible means something. Every word in the Bible is clearly there on purpose by the Holy Spirit. It's, when you're reading your Bible and you go, oh, man, I'm just going to skip that. That just is a genealogy that's driving me crazy. Listen, those names are there on purpose. If it was your name, you'd want to read it. Listen to me. When you look at the names here, and I'm just going to give them to you quickly. That way we can go on with content. When you look at the names in the Bible... Zacharias is here. His name means God remembers. Elizabeth is his wife. Her name means his oath. 
John's name means the Lord is gracious or a gracious gift. Gabriel means strong man of God. Joseph means he will add. Mary means their rebellion. It comes from the word Mara. When she was bitter, it's a word for bitter. Mary means their rebellion. To who? To Jesus. The Lord is salvation. If you take just the words in the context of chapter 1 of Luke, it's Jehovah remembers his oath. He is gracious and a strong man of God. He will add their rebellion to Jesus, to the Lord's salvation. That's what it tells you. It, it, it's hidden inside the names. Now, there's people that tweak the names and they do different little things. And you can redefine them. But I want you to know that it, it's all through the Bible. If you really want to dig, there's no way that you can exhaust the depth of God. There's no way that you can exhaust it. The Hebrew is written in a trichotomy. It's got a number value. It's got a picture value. And it's got a word value. In fact, there's a guy that does that, and he does the very first word, which is origins or beginning, and that entire word read from right to left, backward, because this side of the planet we read from left to right. The other side of the planet reads from left to right, everything that they do. And, and the very first word of the Bible gives you the entire gospel, just one word. Because there's only one word. There's only Jesus. There's no other name by which men can be saved. And that first word gives you in picture, in number, and in the word value that God is where beginnings and origins comes from. He's the one that created, and he created salvation for mankind. And actually, the first picture is, is, is this. Listen. Is a leader coming out of his tent and dying on a cross. But he came out of his tent. He came out of his house and came down to us and died on a cross and brought us salvation. That's the gift that we're talking about right now. This is so much more in-depth than you could ever imagine, yet the, the smallest child can understand it. The smallest child can understand getting a gift and unwrapping it. And then if you wish to look at Genesis... It's pretty amazing in Genesis. Oh, I didn't tell you that. that you can actually go farther with, Zach, with Zacharias in them. In fact, if you looked at it in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Well, Herod means heroic. Judea means praise. So there's a hero that shall be praised because Jehovah remembered his oath. Listen to me. It just gets deeper. You can go further and further and further and further till it makes my little brain pop. It really does. But you cannot get to the end of it because you'll pick up another word and you go. And as far as you want to go with God, he will take you. He will take you. If you come to him. But let's look at Genesis. I want you to see this because it's just not just in Luke chapter 1, which happens to be a gospel, which happens to be, there's four of them, which happens to be Matthew's the 40th book, which is the number of judgment. It happens to be all contained in those same four testimonies of what happened with Jesus. They're the 40th books that tells us that Jesus judged sin on the cross. That gift judged sin and paid for it once and for all. I just want to show you this, that there's small types of this all through the Bible. 
I was looking at it again, and I go, my goodness, this breaks my brain, Lord. Chapter 1, he created, right? Chapter 1, you get the word beginning, origins, everything goes back to Genesis. Chapter 2, he gives it to you in more depth. He goes a little deeper with it and tells you what he did, and you have the institution of marriage and family. The first two institutions ever created on the planet, long before there was any government because God was the government, because he's the only government. You have marriage and family. That's why they're attacked. That's why right now they're attacked so strongly by the Antichrist spirit in the world because God created them. It's called death culture. Chapter 3, what did you get? You got death. You got death because they rejected God's uh, authority and his government. At the, and then in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, you get uh, a second chance. Where Adam and Eve have a child again, Seth, and then begin to call upon the Lord again. Chapter 5, you have the genealogies, followed by what? The announcement of judgment. Listen to me, it's the announcement of judgment. Chapter 6 is the announcement of judgment, so what's chapter 7? In completion, it is judgment. The flood comes. Well, what happens after that, Greg? Chapter 8, which is the number for new beginnings, God remembers Noah. It's a new beginning. God remembers Noah. Not like he forgot him, but he remembers him and his promise that he made. Just like in Luke chapter 1, when you come upon the scene and Luke begins to give us this autopsy of the body of Christ, he says, hey, here's Zacharias and Elizabeth. And God remembers his oath. Listen to me. It's the same theme all the way through the Bible that God wants you to know that He loves you, He died for you, He created you, and you can have a second chance or you can come under judgment. And He's announcing judgment right now, and you have a period of time to live, and then judgment will come. It most definitely will come. I guarantee it'll come. It's coming soon and very soon. But I wanted you to see that in Luke chapter, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 5, again, and you can, the Hebrew is no longer spoken or used. There's very few people that can understand it, but this Hebrew of this Bible I'm talking about, but the Hebrew is there. And in the Hebrew, in chapter 5, verse 1 through 32, I'm just going to give it to you because. I'm not going to spend all this time. I want to get back to the greatest gift ever given. But I want you to know that if you dig deeper, you can find this out, what these names mean. Listen to me. It's giving the genealogy from Adam to Noah. From fellowship to the end of judgment and grace. Listen to the genealogy. Adam means man. What was his new son? Seth means appointed. Enosh means subject to death. Canaan means full of sorrow. Mahaliel means from the presence of God. Jared means one comes down. Enoch means dedicated to God. Methuselah means dying he shall sin. Lamech means poor and lowly. Noah means rest and comfort. Let me read it to you again in the genealogies. Man appointed... Subject to death, 
full of sorrow from the presence of God. One comes down dedicated to God. It actually means a follower of God. Dedicated to God, dying he will send, the poor and lowly rest in comfort. That's what the genealogies mean in the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 which is the perfect number of completion, seven and three together in the first 10 people that are in the genealogy in Genesis 5. See, this is not some made-up book that man made up. There's not enough depth in your brain, my brain, or intellect on the planet for somebody to write 66 books, string them along for 3,000 years, and put them all down and make all of it make sense the way it does. And it's contained there is a free gift to you if you want to be set free, if you want to start unwrapping it. How do you unwrap it, Greg? You begin to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, and you die to yourself, and you obey it, and quit obeying self. Because we're wrapped in self, and self is the enemy, and self wants to do what? Self wants to be self-deceived, so self follows the world and the devil. Self follows what looks to be good, what looks like I want to unwrap, let me go get all these toys and unwrap them and have fun with them. And they're good for a season, but they end in death. But when you unwrap Jesus, you get life. When you begin to draw near to God, you get life. And you get wrapped up in what He's doing, and that's others. It's God-centered and others-oriented. You put yourself last, and you will have joy. And your joy will be full forevermore that's the gospel so anyway back in our text Luke let's just do a, a, a study of Luke and, and the gospel story I'm not going to be able to do it all I don't know if you guys seen that but Luke chapter 1 is like I don't know what it is 70 oh my goodness 76 is my right no it's 79 80 verses I can't do all those you guys you know you know, you know as well as I do we'd be here for how long and I've only got three weeks to do this. So I'm going to do three messages for the greatest gift ever given. Listen, it's Christmas all year long. It's Christmas. Just like we just celebrated Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving all year long. To the Christian, it's the greatest gift ever given all day long. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the birth of this, this one son, the only son and the day that he came. So let's look. Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which we have, which have been fulfilled among us. King James says most surely believed. Listen to me. Not fulfilled among us, but most surely believed. It's the word pistio. Have you most surely believed this? Do you understand that God has fulfilled his promise to give a Messiah? See, the Old Testament saints, they look forward to what God was going to do. That's how they were saved by faith, just like you and I. Nobody's ever been saved by law, only by faith. Abraham was saved by faith, Genesis 15. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Sound familiar? Same gospel, same grace that you and I are under. We believe God, and we get the righteousness of God from the Messiah that's already came. They look forward and believe God that one day he was going to give a payment for the sins of the world. We look back, and we have the prophetic word made more sure, knowing that he already gave his son Jesus as the greatest gift ever given. And then when we believe that, 
It's accounted to our account as righteousness, which means right living before God. That's all righteousness is. Christ perfectly followed. He was dedicated to God. He did everything. Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written, I have come to do thy will, O God. And he came and did it perfectly under the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't say, I can't do what he did. Because if you're led by the Spirit, it was the Spirit that led him up into the wilderness. It was the Spirit, and he did it as an example to show us that if we will trust the Spirit of God to live in us, we can fulfill our appointment, our calling that he called us to do and cross the finish line by faith. Not in perfection, but being perfected. And when we see him, we'll be just like him, and he's perfect. It's still the goal, perfection. Why did we fall into sin? We weren't perfect. The goal is still perfection. Hit the mark every time. So many have taken in hand. There's many people talking about it, telling about it, of all the things that we most surely believe, trust in. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning, there's that word, remember we've been doing that in 1 John, there's that beginning again, from the beginning of the gospel, were eyewitnesses, there's autopatia, an autopsy. They were eyewitnesses. See, a witness is the Greek word martis, one who dies for their faith. We get the word martyr from it. That's over in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness for me throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here is an eyewitness because they were there. They touched him. They held him. They walked with him. They listened to him concerning the word of life. And there were eyewitnesses of what happened when they seen him crucified and rose again. So they could do an autopsy. Here's Luke questioning them. Here's Luke checking it out. He's a contemporary. He was alive when all of it was going on. And then he writes it down. So you and I can most certainly believe the testimony of the Spirit down the corridors of times. He does an autopsy. It's a written piece of paper. It's a document that can be certified and is true because of Jesus. Because God already said he was going to do it. Now he's fulfilled it. Do you believe it? How's it changed your life? Are you opening it? Is it changing you? They were eyewitnesses. And what else did they do, Greg, when they eyewitnessed it? They were ministers of the word delivered them to us. They were ministers of the word they received. They served others with the word they received. They took it to others. Now, the word delivered is not in the text. They were just ministers of the word of God. The logos of God. Are you a minister for God? Logos can be the written word or logos can be the living word, Jesus himself. John uses it constantly as Jesus himself in the book of John. The logos of God. It's, it's, it's a systematic or, or something said including the thought. It's a discourse put together. We get, we get Lego from it. If you got Legos, you stepped on one, you know what they feel like, but you connect them all together and they make something. Well, God's discourse and gospel and good news to the world is all connected together. 66 books from beginning to end. That's where that comes from. But you can't build your own. You have to follow the one he set down. This is the anointed of God, the gift of God, the greatest gift ever given. 
Have you received it? Are you opening it? Are you enjoying it? Do you know for certain? Verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So, how, why, how would he have perfect understanding? Listen, listen to me. Turn at my rebuke. And I will pour my spirit out on you, and I will make my word known to you. Proverbs 123. Listen to me. If you believe in Jesus, the spirit comes into you, and now you can have perfect understanding of all the things that are contained in the Bible, the testimony of God and what he's done on the planet, what he's doing on the planet, what he's getting ready to do on the planet. It's available through the spirit. So he has perfect He's laying it down. He's writing who? Theophilus. If you looked in Acts 1, he writes to Theophilus. It was his former master, Theophilus. Theos is God. What does this mean? Philio is, is, is the city of brotherly love. This is lover of God, friend of God. See, we've become friends of God. We're supposed to be lovers of God. He's writing to his former slave master and, and to help him understand more certainly the things that he's finding out as he's on these missionary journeys and the Holy Spirit is revealing it. And then he's also writing to you and me down the corridors of time if we're lovers of God. And if you become a child of God, you're a friend of God also. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've told you everything. So you can know what he's doing and be involved and allow him to live through you and go with you to make disciples of all nations. A disciple is just a learner. A learner of who? A learner of God. I don't want you to learn of me. I want you to learn of God. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about God and what he's doing. If you're a learner of God, why would I tell you about me? I can tell you my testimony and you can learn what he's done in my life, but I'd rather tell you about what he wants to do in your life because he does the same. He's not a respecter of persons. He does the same in all lives if we'll listen and unwrap the package, the greatest gift ever given. How is it affecting your life? How has it affected your life this Christmas, this last Christmas, Christmas of 21? See, things are getting different. God prepares us for what's coming. Things are insane on our planet, and they're changing the way you think. They're changing the way you perceive things. They're trying to change the way you even cognitively believe things and follow things. They're doing it through stress and pain and suffering and sickness and fear, and it's changing even brain fluid, how you, how you react to it. It causes depression and anxiety. It causes all kinds of things. But when you have Christ, you have rest and comfort because that's what Noah means. When you have Christ, you can have peace. Because the Bible says to be anxious or careful for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God, the rest of God, the comfort of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Why is it guarding your heart and mind? Because your soul is safe with God if you believe. Your heart and mind is what the devil's chasing. Your heart and mind's what he's trying to destroy. Your heart and mind is what fear and danger and all these other things come and attack and make you act differently. That's why you need the truth. 
That's why you need to be in the word of God, drawing near to God. He draws near to you and he gives you rest and satisfaction and stability and comfort and hope. And he says, peace be still, do not be afraid. But when you're not taking the prescription and you're taking the prescription of the world, don't be surprised when you can't handle the stress when it comes. You can't handle the problem when it happens. You can't deal with the frustration. Listen to me. Draw near to God. Unwrap the gift. Come to your senses. He'll make his word known to you. That you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. Instructed just means to sound down to your ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Instructed means you've been taught. You're instructed in it. You, you've been given a teaching. It sounded down to your ears. The church is supposed to have ears to hear what, the, the, what God would say to them. And then obey, hear his voice and follow. Not hear his voice and go, man, that was a good sermon. I think I'll go out and do what I want to do. I think I'll go out and keep wrapping myself in self and see if I can't get me another this or another that and feel good about me. That's deception. We got to unwrap ourselves from this flesh. We got to get out of this flesh and get into the spirit, be wrapped in the spirit. Be wrapped up in what God's doing, His will, not my will, but thy will. Verse 5, there was in the days, so he takes off. That's a pretty short introduction, four verses. I can take about 20 years to give you an introduction. There was in the days of Herod. Remember Herod? There was Herod the Great. There was Herod um, Antipas. Herod the Great killed the babies. All of them two years and younger, trying to kill Jesus. He didn't want any other king. Herod Antipas was his son. He beheaded John the Baptist. And then there was Herod Agrippa one and two. And that was the end of them. There's no proof that any of them ever come to salvation. It means heroic. You look at the world and things look heroic. You look at the world and you go, I want to be like that movie star. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like them. What about Jesus? He's the real hero. He's the one that died for the sins of the world. Don't you want to be like him? Think about it. Long and hard. Unwrap the gift. Quit unwrapping the movies. Quit unwrapping Hollywood. Quit thinking that that vanity is going to save you. It's going to kill you. The real hero is Jesus. He died. For you and me. Are you unwrapping him? How's it affecting your life? Have you received him? Are you certain about it? See, he was in. Herod was king of Judea. He was king of praise. Isn't that interesting? He wanted man's praise. He wanted to be ruler. He wanted everybody to praise him. See, that's what the devil wants, is everybody to praise him. He is wanting to steal the worship of God. A certain priest, 
See, now we're believer priests, the Bible teaches us. So don't say, well, that was the law, Greg. No, the law, the only thing the law was there is a pedagogus. It was a school marm. It was a teacher that instructed them so they wouldn't die until the Messiah come because they already rebelled against God. When, God, when Moses went up on the hill to get the, the Ten Commandments that they agreed to keep, they broke every one of them while he was up on the mount. And God could have killed them or he could give them grace. And so he wrote a law that kept them in line. As long as they made, took care of that prescription, because that's what the commandment is. It's, a, it's an authoritative prescription from God. And if you follow the prescription, you're right with God. If you follow the prescription, God doesn't kill you. So the law kept them in line until Jesus come, and they could go, wow, we believe in Jesus, but they rejected him. And so he gives the right for the Greeks, the Gentiles, to come to salvation. There was a priest named Zacharias, God remembers, of the division of Abijai. Abijai means my father is Jah. My father is Yahweh. I can, I'm just telling you, when you take these names and you start, you can actually put an entire discourse together because of Lagos. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and marrow and the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This word is real. This world is going to burn. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Remember Aaron, Moses' brother? He's the Arianic priesthood. He's the guy. Listen, look at this grace. He's the guy, while Moses was on the mount getting the Ten Commandments, he's the guy they said, hey, Aaron, where's your brother at? Brought us out in the wilderness to die, huh? We ain't safe. We're going to die out here. Make us a god. He says, well, give me all your gold. And they gives all the gold to him, and he throws it in the fire and forms a golden calf, and they begin calf worship false worship and God still makes him the head of the priest God forgives him and gives him another chance he's the one that formed up the religion he's the one formed up the golden calf if he was ever a fan of the cubs that's where holy cow comes from Harry Carey holy cow holy cow oh never mind I'm just taking a little bit off. It's a Christmas gift for you. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? A guy that needed salvation. That's what I'm talking about. Aaron. Aaron. Aaron means, listen, you know what Aaron means? Light bringer. Aaron means light bringer. What happens when God remembers his oath? Elizabeth means his oath. He brings light to the world and it decorates that first tree that we were supposed to be cursed upon. I'm sorry. Her name was Elizabeth. God remembers his oath. Elizabeth means his oath. And they were both, both of them, righteous before God. Stop right there. They're righteous before God. Why? Because they were looking for the Messiah to come. walking, this is how you live. Anytime you're walking, this is how you're living. Well, how are they walking, Greg? In all the commandments, all the, pre, the, the authoritative prescriptions of God. Not in pharmacy, 
Not in the rebellion, not in the government's world, not in, not in some witchcraft, but they were trying to live according to all the commandments of God, the authoritative prescription for life so that they wouldn't be killed until the Messiah came. That's how they're blameless. Oh, we didn't get to that yet, did we? The commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You know, you and I are blameless if we believe in Jesus. If we've turned our heart toward home and we're being led by the Spirit and we're trying to be corrected and do the will of God, we're blameless. The accuser, the brethren, the devil comes up. I don't care how you feel about it. Truth is truth whether you feel good about it or not. If you believe in Jesus, and I don't care who you murdered last night. I'm sorry, it's just the strongest place I could go. And you believe in Jesus, I'm not giving you permission to sin. Because of his blood, all of your sin is forgiven. You're blameless. But you're supposed to be walking in that. You're supposed to be moving in that. You, you, you might not even be saved if you're not living that way. You might not have ever been saved. You might have believed an emotional call to go and say a prayer at an altar. And you might never have really believed if you don't have a desire to walk in the ways of God. If you didn't come to your senses like the prodigal son and running back to the father. You're on your way to the father. And as you're on your way to the father, the father comes and meets you. Because if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But many people have never front-slidden. They go, oh, I've backslidden. No, did you ever desire to walk and unwrap this gift and begin to be part of this house and this family and do your part because of the Spirit of God in the will of God for the glory of God so that souls can be saved? Now, we all fall short of that. But that's not the place we're supposed to stay or be or look to go. We're supposed to be going higher and higher, onward and upward, forgetting that which is behind and pressing on toward the higher call of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm being a cheerleader. Yes, the gift is a cheerleader. Yes, the hope and the comfort and the rest of God should cheer us on to run a race to win, not run a race to fall down, to run a race to win like Jesus did. Why would we run a gospel with a heart that says, I'm going to fail? When you serve a God that's perfect, we can be blameless just like they were. You know, they were blameless and they weren't without fault. They were believing lies. Oh, let's keep moving. I'll tell you what lies they were believing. But they had no child. You can say no fruit. Because... Listen, his oath was barren. It was sterile. Is God's oath to your life sterile and you have no fruit? Oh, I'm sorry. We're talking about Elizabeth's womb, wasn't we? They were supposed to have no children. But it's the same thing. So many people say that, that they believe in the oath that God made, the promise that he made that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and they have no fruit. They're sterile in life. They're still doing what they've always done because there's no power of the Holy Spirit. So there's no fruit. They're barren in their walk before God instead of their character being changed before the living God. But here, see, they believe lies because in this culture, if you didn't have any children... It was considered a curse. Here, God testifies by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that they did not say that they were blameless, walking in the commandments of God. God said that. The Holy Spirit said that in the commentary. 
because they were trying to do the will of God. So he had already by faith given them their righteousness. They were walking around thinking they were cursed because they had no child to leave their inheritance to. They were walking around thinking they were cursed because the culture told them, if you don't have a male offspring to give your stuff, then you're cursed. Yet at the same time, religiously, he's doing the work of the ministry. And they've been praying all their life, all their married life. And they probably got married at a real young age, maybe 13. And we're going to see that they're advanced in age. They feel like they're dead. The womb is not just barren, but it's dead. You guys remember that? Abraham and Sarah? Listen to me. Do you have a dead womb? You're not bearing any fruit? You're sterile? It's not over yet. You're still alive. God brings life out of death. Isn't that what the cross is? His son died and he brings life to us out of it because he rose again. But what did he do with the first covenant? Abraham and Sarah. Sarah laughed because God said they were going to have a child. And they were beyond the years of having children. So out of a dead womb, he brought Isaac. Out of death, he brought life. It was a picture of the cross. He does it again right here as he's getting ready to come with his oath. Now, don't forget this because I'm going to go back to it here in a minute. Do you remember I said God remembered Noah, chapter 8, the chapter of New Beginnings? Here, God's remembering his oath. In a minute, I'll tell you what remember means. Because it ain't like God forgot something. God knows everything. He doesn't forget. We forget. That's why we need a place of remembrance, communion. That's why we need a memorial place to go. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. So they were believing the lie of the apostate system of the Jewish nation. See, the the Jewish nation had walked away from God. They were apostate, and they were teaching things that simply weren't true because they didn't know what the Scripture said in certain places. They missed it, that then they twisted it to fit what they wanted it to be. That's what we do in the church today. That's why I call it culturanity. So they had no child, no fruit. And both were advanced in years. Verse 8. Uh-oh, here's a new beginning. Listen, the number 8 is a new beginning. Things are getting ready to change. So it was that while he was serving as priest. Did I tell you guys you guys were priests? Believer priest? We become a believer priest. We become a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Because we believe in Jesus, who is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. A priest who has no beginning and no end and no origin, because he's God. So here's Zach. God remembers he's serving as a priest before God. Notice, if you're a priest of God, you serve before God. I am so tired of serving those people. No, you're serving before God. It's not about the people in front of you. It's about being faithful to God. That's all you're called to be is faithful. Faithful to serve before God. Don't blame your lack of service and your lack of of going out to save souls on the people in front of you. That's what Jonah did. And he ended up in the belly of a whale. He said, I ain't going there because you'll forgive those Ninevites. Listen, don't blame it on the people. Your unfaithfulness is your fault, not, God, not somebody else's fault. All you're called to do is to serve before God and be faithful with your gift and faithful with your walk. 
Don't blame it on somebody else. Unfaithfulness comes from your heart, not from theirs. In the order of his division, verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, this is what they did, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now listen, you could, there are so many priests, so many Levitical priests, that you could live your whole life and never, ever burn incense. You could never, ever even be called upon to go inside the temple. But you're still a priest somewhere else. So you got to understand this. There's people doing everything. The priests do everything. It's not like, like that there's, everybody gets to be a preacher. That's my gift. It's not like everybody gets to burn incense, or do they? See, because burning incense means praying. See, they, they perpetually, this was given to them back in Exodus, perpetually they would burn incense morning and night. And there was always incense. And when the incense, you can see in the text, is going up in the air, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God, and it represents the prayers of the saints. Watch this. And we're supposed to be doing this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. We're supposed to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. We're always supposed to be praising God, worshiping God. The devil gets us to quit. See, praise and worship are the same thing. Praying is an oratory chapel. Praying means worship. Think about it for a minute. If I will pray to God, I'm worshiping God because I'm trusting God. I'm learning to be dependent upon God. And I see that he's where my help comes from. So I come and I petition him with words. He sent his word to heal us. We sent our word to become like him. And we say, Lord, this is crazy. What's going on? I didn't mean to do that. Forgive me. Now make me more like you. That's called prayer. That's called earnest prayer. That's called supplicating. But it's also called worship. And when people don't pray, it's because they're not worshiping God. They're not dependent upon God. They're not trusting God. They don't believe that God can change the condition and that he really loves them and is going to give them the best. See, he might not give you what you want. They've been praying all their life and they don't have a child. But guess what? God wasn't holding out. He's going to give it to him in his time. Just like he did the, the, Jesus. He gave it to it in the fullness of time when all roads led to one place, to Rome, when the whole world was speaking the same language, he brought Jesus in his time, not your time. We're just called to worship him. And don't be deceived and let the devil steal your worship. Praying is the most important thing you can do in life. Because it shows where your heart's at and what your heart is dependent upon. And we talked about it Friday night. If you're not thankful, it's because you think you did it. See, but prayer includes you coming back to God and thanking Him for doing it. Thanking Him for the strength. Thanking Him for the wisdom. Thanking Him for the breath to breathe. That shows you're dependent upon Him. That shows you're not living in the flesh when you can come and thank God that something happened. It's a choice of yours. But praying is worship. Praying is something you do to be dependent and to learn how to worship God. How do I know this? Where's Jesus at right now? Where's our righteousness at right now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and me. That's the worship. He's continually worshiping the Father so that we are always worshiping the Father in position. 
We are always worshiping the Father because we're hidden in Christ and He's always worshiping Him because of prayer. And He's making intercession for you and me. So our position is fine if we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, there's not somebody always worshiping the Father and keeping you in the righteousness of God. Prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. He didn't say it'll be a house of the Word. Listen, heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will not. But He did not say it'll be a house of the Word. He said it'll be a house of prayer because it's people that are dependent upon His government, His authority, His power, His might, His strength. And if you pray, that's what you're looking to be, is to worship Him and be dependent upon Him because you know you cannot do it. That's why we call you to pray. That's why I say the prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the church. This is the equipping to know who we're praying to. This is the equipping to say, how do I go out to those that we've been praying for? How do I stand against the wiles of the devil? This is the equipping station. But if you don't make time to pray, and I believe you need, legalistically, I believe you need a place. When you have an appointment with the king, you should have a place to meet him. When you have a dentist appointment, you have a place to go. You don't just go over into town and go, I think I'll go to that dentist. But you have an appointment and you go to a specific dentist's office and you sit in a specific chair. And I'm not being legalistic for meanness. I'm saying if you don't have a place, then you're not serious about meeting with God. We read all the reviews and everything about the dentist. We go and check them out and how they do and what do they do. And I don't like their bedside manner. What about with God? Talking about your soul, your eternal soul. Who are you dependent upon yourself? You wrapped in self or are you unwrapping the power of God in your life? This is real salvation delivered to safety. So he's burning incense. Now listen to me because this is crazy. Noah, Genesis 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah. The word remembered literally is translated in the Bible as burn incense. See, Christ is sitting up there remembering us. I was blown away when I looked up remember in the Hebrew, and one of the definitions of what it's been translated was burn incense. It's the prayers of the saints. So right now, this is what's getting ready to go on in religion, in religiosity of an apostate system. Here comes the priest. He says, I'm going to do my duty. Now listen, he's blameless before God, but he's not going to believe the prayer. He's not even going to believe it, but he's doing it. Do you guys remember when uh, uh, Peter was in jail and an angel came at night and there was an earthquake and released him and, and they're, they're having a big prayer meeting and, and, and Peter comes knocking on the door. And Rona opens the, the little peak hole and goes, whoa, it's Peter. And she goes, and goes, Peter's at the door. And they're in there praying to God, oh, Lord, release Peter. Don't let him be killed like James was. <laughs> open the door, open the door. Oh, he ain't out there. You're beside yourself, lady. We pray and we don't believe God. You know why? James says it's because we pray amiss and we pray for our own self to wrap ourselves with more stuff. Instead of praying for God's will, instead of praying what God wants to do to be wrapped in Christ, we pray amiss all the time. We're praying for selfish reasons. We're praying like, fix that woman I got because she is crazy and I can't take no more. 
Oh, that's just because I'm a guy. Fix that man I got because I'm going crazy. He won't do what he's supposed to do. Listen, that's selfish. God knows what your man is and God knows what your woman is. God knows what he wants to do with you. What about your relationship with God? What about your lordship issues? What about what you're reading and unwrapping? Why are you blaming all your problems on everybody else when it's really your heart that's deceived? Listen to me. Get this right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. It's about your relationship when there's problems in your life and God allows them on purpose. I talked to a Messianic Jew. I shared this Friday night. I was just minding my own business, buying some stuff for work because I was working on something I didn't even want to be doing. And the lady goes, this day has been terrible. I think I was born on the same day Job was. I said, ma'am, you're not old enough to be born on Job's day. She said, well, I mean his birthday. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, Job cursed the day he was born. I said, well, yeah, the day he was born, not the day you were born. And I go, do you believe in Jesus? She goes, yeah, but I call him Yeshua. I'm a Jew. And I go, well, you're a Messianic Jew, but you ain't cursed because of Job. You're cursed because of your attitude toward what's going on in your life. You're causing them problems and thinking that they're bad for you when them problems get you to cry out to God and to trust Him. And now you're praying, which is what He wants you to do in the first place. Burn the incense. Come to Him. Be dependent upon Him. When there's troubles, if it's where you take them, tells you what you're doing, how you're living. If you stand up and you want to fight, if you, if you go to the government, if you go here or there and you don't go to God, that's really who you're worshiping. See, he wants your worship. He'll allow things to come into your life so you'll cry out to him. She's like, well, that's a different perspective. Anyway, that's my life. But there's things going on in your life that are not there to frustrate you. They're not there to destroy you. They're there to help you to pray. Or you can keep throwing money at them. You can keep throwing cuss words at them. You can... Keep fighting them in your own flesh, or you can begin to pray. And when you pray, God can do something. Oh, he can do something anyway, but he ain't going to until you pray. He wants you to pray. He loves you that much that he will allow it to happen, so you will pray. And if you say you believe in God and you're not praying, your belief is not real. Your belief is not real. Your faith is dead. Faith without works is dead faith. It's demonic faith. And the first work is praying. Where are we at? What time is it? Who thought you could get through this? Well, notice he's, he's burning incense. Do a study on that sometimes. And see, now here's the thing. The altar of incense was a separate altar from the altar of God that was inside the Holy of Holies. If you go to Hebrews, you find out now, where's it at? It's inside the Holy of Holies now in heaven. But here on earth, since Jesus hadn't died yet, the altar of incense where he's seated and praying at was outside of the Holy of Holies. And he would come there twice a day, the, the priest would, and would set the incense and make sure it was still burning as prayers, praying continually. And it's outside the Holy of Holies. Now Jesus is seated inside making intercession for you and me. And he's able to secure or to help those who come to him. 
And while he's doing that, what's going on outside? He's inside the temple. And verse 10 says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. See, they knew what it meant. And they were all praying. They were all worshiping God. It was a remembrance. It was a time where when they seen the smoke go up, they all knew they were supposed to be praying and interceding and crying out to God. What are they praying? They're praying for a Messiah. They're praying for help. They're under bondage. And yet, they don't believe when he comes. Then an angel, a messenger of the Lord, Kurios, supreme in authority, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's important. This is outside the Holy of Holies on the right side. Jesus is right now inside the Holy of Holies on the right side of the power of the Father on high, making intercession. This is man outside on the right side. Gabriel appears. Gabriel means a, a strong man of God. And he's standing on the right side, the hand of power of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him... He was troubled and fear fell upon him. Now listen, again, because he believes lies. They taught falsely that if you've seen an angel, you're going to die. So here, he, what's he thinking? I'm in, the, whole, I'm in, I'm in the, the, the temple and I've done something wrong. Because if you do something wrong in the temple and you worship to God, you're going to die. God will kill you. This is the law. So he's freaking out. He's, he's troubled inside. There's emotions flowing crazy because he thinks something that's wrong. Here, good news is coming. Gabriel's there to give him the answer to what he's been praying all of his life, that he would have fruit, he would have hope, he would have rest and comfort. He's going to be the father of the forerunner, John the Baptist, that makes straight the way of the Lord. And he's freaking out instead of receiving the message. Because he's been falsely taught that if you see an angel, you're going to die. Now, if you knew the scriptures, you'd know that there's places where people see angels and they didn't die. So you wouldn't believe the lie. But since he doesn't know the scriptures, or somebody falsely taught him, he thinks he's going to die. The same thing with the barrenness. With Elizabeth not having a child, if he would look at the scriptures, he see that God doesn't change and that he brought life from death out of Sarah's womb. He can do it from Elizabeth's womb. See, when you're old in the Lord and you still don't know the scriptures, boy, the fear and trembling is going to come upon you. And you're going to always think God's against you and you're cursed, even though you should have been growing in relationship and knowing that God still wants to use you. Every time I go into the nursing home or to the elderly, I always tell them, just because you're in here doesn't mean God's finished. Praying is the greatest thing you can be doing. You can be praying for me. You can be praying for your family. You can be praying for the staff here. God's not finished with you. It doesn't matter where you're at, front yard, backyard, you're in prison, you're in jail, you're in the hospital. When he comes, he's going to take you. You're about the Lord's business no matter where you're at. Paul wrote five of his books from prison to encourage people that were out there confused. When are we going to wake up to what the Spirit of God wants to do? So he believes falsely that he's going to die because there's an angel standing there. I must have brought the wrong incense. I must have held my mouth wrong when I said that prayer. You know, just falsely because he doesn't have a relationship. And Zacharias saw him. He was troubled. Mm. 
lost my page. There it is. It means to stir or to agitate, to cause inward commotion and fear, phobia. He was put in fear. He was exceedingly afraid. 13, but the angel said to him, listen to what he said, do not be afraid. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus always says? Isn't that the message he always sends? Because, listen, COVID's out there. Death is out there. Pain is out there. Suffering's out there. But God would say to you, do not be afraid of death because I have overcome death. Do not be afraid of these things because the devil wants to use fear. The devil wants to use all of these things to destroy true faith. So pretty quickly, the angel knew that he was afraid, and he said, do not be afraid. Zacharias, do not be afraid. God remembers, for your prayer is heard. That's what Zacharias means. Do not be afraid. God remembers your prayer is heard. That's what he's saying to him. Been hearing it the whole, your whole life, but I had to wait for my time to take care of it. But see, meanwhile, you were blameless. You were positionally right. You were okay. You were doing the work of the ministry. You keep going. I'll do it in my time. You don't change what you're doing because you think God's mad because it didn't work out right in the other thing. You keep doing what you know to be right. Don't ever give up what you know to be right for something you think might be right. Don't ever give up what you know to be truth just because you're emotionally charged. Keep following what you know to be truth and he'll show you more truth. That's called walking by faith. Most people get sidetracked and deceived. So he says, there's no reason to be afraid. God remembers for your prayer is heard and your wife will bear a son your wife, your oaf, will bear you a son, fruit, and you shall call his name John. The Lord is gracious. Gracious gift of Yahweh. John is the grace of God. And the grace of God is what announces faith of God. The grace of God is what announces the salvation of God. And John the Baptist is going to be the one that comes to pronounce it. And you will have joy. See, because when you believe God and you have the grace of God, there's supposed to be joy and gladness because now you're safe with God. No matter what happens. And many will rejoice at his birth. So others are going to rejoice at the birth of grace. It's a double 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that nice if you was told by God that your child was going to be great in the sight of the Lord? That's pretty cool. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's, that's a Nazarite vow. They would have been familiar with that. Uh, probably included not cutting his hair. It means that from birth he's going to be dedicated to God. If they knew anything of the scriptures, they would have known of Samson and other people that had Nazarite vows. He will also, get this, be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now this is a bunch of stuff. Number one, it shows that there's life in the womb at conception for all the abortion people. 
There's life in the womb at conception because God doesn't put his Holy Spirit in dead things. He gives them life and then he puts his spirit in them. And he's going to be, but it's also given the new age of grace of John because the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for God's purposes. New Testament theology, when you're born again and you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart. So John had the Holy Spirit from birth because he's coming, what? In the spirit of Elijah, the power of Elijah. So he's already anointed from birth as the forerunner. He's actually Jesus' cousin, born six months before, which is another long uh, teaching that we won't go into. But from the womb, the Holy Spirit will be upon him with a Nazarite vow that they know what he's going to do. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Once again, that's not the same thing as the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of promise. But there's a feeling, there's a power from upon high. You can be baptized. The Holy Spirit will come upon you to go out and do the work of the ministry. If you will begin to go out and believe Him, He'll He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. That's power from upon high to do the work of the ministry. And He will turn, that's repent, He will turn, convert, turn about, return is what it means. Many of the children of Israel, really? Why would the children of Israel, which means governed by God, need to turn back to the Lord? Because they're apostate. They've walked away from the Lord. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. See, many people get sidetracked. They get caught up. They walk away. They forget what faith is. They think that the problems cause cursings and, and that God's not happy with them. And they forget their position. And they, they think, I mean, I had a guy the other day, a customer that, that said, oh, yeah, well, I can't come back to God because it's impossible to renew such a one. I said, that's. You're misinterpreting that. That's people that were making up in their mind that they were going to walk away, not somebody that was crying out. If you have any inkling in you to worship God, it's not from you. There's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. If you think about God, it's because God does that. His Spirit does that, not you. You didn't do that. That's another height of pride. He's the one that reveals Himself. 17, He will also, this is what John's, mission was what he was anointed for why he was filled with the holy spirit for because we're all called with a purpose he will also go before him i if yours is not capitalized that that should be a capital h it's before jesus in the spirit and power of elijah elijah means the lord is god jehovah is god Why would he go before him to do that? To turn, to cause repentance. That's what he preached. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Where's the father's hearts at? If they need to be turned to the children, where's the father's hearts at? Fathers? Fathers. See, our Father in heaven, the good Father in heaven, His heart is for His children, and He gave His only Son. Where's the fathers of this planet's hearts at? Is it for their children to raise them and take care of their wives and and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Or is their heart someplace else chasing something else? We blame everything on the women. Come on, marriages. God blames it on the fathers. He blamed it on Adam. He didn't blame it on Eve. Eve. 
turning the fathers back to the children. And the disobedient, the unbelieving to the wisdom of the just. That should be capitalized too. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Just as innocent, holy, and righteous. Only Jesus is the just. He's the just one. It's one of his names. The disobedient, though, listen. The disobedient is unpersuadable. It means unpersuadable, non-compliant. Listen, when you hear the truth of God and you're unpersuaded, see, because in order to turn, you have to be of the same mind of God. You have to agree with what God says. That's called repentance. When you say, forgive me of my sins, it means you're agreeing that it's sin, that you're the same mind with God. But if you're unrepentant or you are non-compliant or you're disobedient, that means you don't agree with what God said. That means you're rejecting His word. Why would we do that? Notice you see it all across America. In every house, we reject the head of the house. We reject authority. It's rebellion. It's sin. But when a person comes to salvation, we find out who the authority is and we begin to submit to the authority in our lives. Hupotasso. We abide under the authority that God has put in our life. And when you do that, you show a heart that has come back to God, that no longer wants to be rebellious to God. But when you reject authority, you're showing good old-fashioned sin and rebellion. It doesn't mean that your authority is perfect. It doesn't mean that your authority is always right. But your heart to do and follow the authority in your life, God will bless. Okay, we better get going and close this out. Greatest gift ever given. Eyes open, return to safety, understanding the truth of God. But you know what? That gift can be really bad if you don't want to obey. Because you know the truth and you still resist it and reject it. And you refuse to be corrected by it. That's a bad place to be. A bad place to be. Are you being made ready? Are you prepared for the Lord? See, that's what you should be doing on Sunday morning. Saturday night, I tell people all the time, I put my clothes, my clothes are put out. I know what I'm wearing Sunday morning because I got an appointment with the king. See, I don't have an appointment with you. I have an appointment with the king. I'm, I'm trying to help equip you, but my job is being faithful up here with the king to surrender and be used by the king. This is what I'm called to do. And I'm not real good at it. I'm not trying to point at me. I'm trying to tell you that I try to prepare myself for it. Because of the grace of God. That's what John is, the grace of God. He prepares people for. Grace prepares you to meet him. You ready to meet him? Or are you going to be ashamed when he comes? I don't even want to read the rest of it. Verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Whereby shall I know this? King James. 
whereby? By what means shall I know this? How can I be sure? Listen, at this age, he should have already known whether he was serving God or not. He's been working in the temple. He's been following God. Why would he have a hard time believing God at this age? His heart should have already been trained to believe God and to trust God and to follow God and to hear God's voice and obey him. And now he's got a messenger angel, a strong man of God standing there telling him that his wife is going to have a child and you should name him John, the grace of God. The great gift of grace of God. And he said, how shall I? Give me a sign. You know, an angel standing there while you're burning incense and praying is not enough sign? Zach? For I am old, I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. What kind of an excuse is that? Which one you'd use to be sterile and to stay sterile and to keep God from answering the prayers and remembering his oath in your life? What, what, what excuses? There's a lot of them. I can make up a few. I'm tired. My body hurts. I've got a mean wife. That was a joke. That was a joke right there. That right there is a joke. That right there is a joke. I got the nicest wife on the planet. Of course, though, let me tell you how that happens. See, when you love your wife as Christ loved the church, he gives you a reward back. Oh, no, never mind. That's pride. Okay, let's, let's get away from this really quick. What excuses are you using to not do the will of God? To not believe the answer of God when he answers your prayer. To not go out in the spirit and do the work of God. He loves you so much he gave his son. He decorated the first tree. With the body of his son, the blood of his son, the light of the world. What do we need to do to open it? What do we need to do to enjoy it and believe it? To pray and understand that he hears you. Just because you're impatient and he doesn't do it like that, the way you want it, doesn't mean that you're still under the curse. It doesn't mean that he's mad at you. It, that he's love. He loves you. Now, is there parameters? Yes. And you should be unwrapping them and finding out and walking in power and might and trusting him that he has brought you back into safety and give you comfort and rest. And he loves you. But you're just one part of the body. And you need to respect the rest of the body and do your part. When you're not doing your part, you leave the rest of the body hanging out there. And that hurts. That's a line from Remember the Titans, by the way. <laughs> Forget it. Are you looking for a sign? An evil and perverse generation seeks after a sign, and none will be given except the Son of Man. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the well, so will the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. How will I know? Whereby shall I know? And the angel answered and said to him, I am, ego ami, Gabriel. He's a messenger using the authority from God, the great I am. I am a messenger, a strong man of God that stands, that's solid, in the presence of God. He come from the throne room and was sent 
to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Listen, is that the reason we're silent when we go out into public? We don't believe. Because of his unbelief. He's praying. He's going through the motions. He wants it more than anything, but he stopped believing in God. He stopped believing God was ever going to do it. It's a process. God is working on you. It's actually sanctification process. I don't even like using the word process. It sounds like some process meets or something. It's sanctification. You are saved, but you're being saved, and you will be saved. You don't say one prayer and it's done. You were born into a family, and then after you moved out, you didn't leave that family, did you? You're still in that family. You still have a part in that family, or you're supposed to, and if you don't, then you need to repent. You need to reconcile because the gospel is about reconciliation. Or at least be at peace with all men as far as you are able. I don't know who that was for, but there it is. So this is what happens because of his unbelief. Now he can't even speak. He can't be a witness. He can't tell them what happened in the temple and give a testimony about it. You know, wouldn't it have been nice if he just said, yippee-i-o, and kicked his heels and ran up out of there and said, man, we've been praying for 70 years, and now my wife's going to have a baby. And they just said, you idiot, she's dead. You ain't going to have no baby. But he said, how will I know? Hang on to that, because next week you're going to see a young girl make a statement like that. But it's not going to be the same. There's a heart that you can actually question God with and his messengers. But when you're advanced in years and you've been serving God, you should have a relationship and you shouldn't need to see signs and wonders. You should just know when God speaks, you obey. The time he speaks is when you're supposed to obey. And you should always believe God. He doesn't lie. Now, you would think, now, I'm sorry, I'm just sitting up here thinking. If he really believed that he would fall down dead if he saw an angel, and then he didn't fall down dead, why wouldn't he believe the word? So you got to be corrected by the word of God. And he's being corrected, believe me. And you'll see that correction when he finally gets to speak, and he obeys God. Because that's the most important thing. You might be silent for a moment. You might be speechless for a minute. You might not have been able to speak. But when you start obeying God, when you open your mouth and you have a heart to obey God, He will fill your mouth. I guarantee you. He'll give you what to say. Now, I don't believe that He was unable to hear. I believe He was just unable to speak. Some people say mute and unable to speak means that he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. I just don't believe that, but that's just me. Both of them are talking about words coming out of my mouth. And they're going to be fulfilled in their own time. Everything is going to be fulfilled in its own time. God is, is, is fulfilling. He's got a season for everything. 21, and the people waited for, 
God's oath and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. There's another one of them verses that you can look at and say, man, God made an oath. He's coming back to get us, and he's lingering so long building our mansions in heaven. Why is he waiting? Because he's long-suffering, and he's not willing that any would, uh, would perish, but all would come to repentance. All would turn. All would hear the wisdom of the just one. So the people are waiting, they're marveling, they're saying, why is it taking this guy so long? we got to get back to our stews. we got to get back to our crock pots that's got food in them. Why is that preacher t- teaching so long? And, and they're like, man, it usually only takes like, you know, three minutes to get this incense lit and get back out here so we don't have to pray. Think about it. Instead of them praying, they're focused on what's he doing? That just proves it was apostate in religion. So anyway, I'm going to go on. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Now they just perceived it wasn't a vision. It was a true angel that came to him. Okay? But because he's doing this charade thing, you know, looks like big angel, mouth doesn't work. You know, and they're, they're perceiving that he's seen a vision instead of that Gabriel actually came to him. Gabriel being a messenger angel, Michael being the war angel, you know, and you can see this. These are archangels, but there he's not able to explain it to them. And it says in 23, so as soon as the days of his service were completed, notice he didn't just run home, jump in bed to have a kid. He finished what he was doing. He was faithful with what he was called to do. He departed to his house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She bore a child. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people, my shame, my disgrace from among people. She hid herself. She concealed herself. Is it because of her age? Think about it. Maybe she's 80, 90. She's pregnant. People be like, what happened to you? It's supposed to be a good thing. Why would you hide yourself if you're bearing fruit? But it says to take away her reproach. Has your reproach been taken away? Do you know for certain Do you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again on the third day? Have you received the greatest gift ever given? Do you believe all these things with certainty? Are you unwrapping that gift? Are you doing your own autopatia, autopsy of the body of Christ? Are you trying to find out what you're called for, what your gifting is, and do your part in the ministry of reconciliation? Are you unwrapping yourself from your own flesh and putting on Christ, the mind of Christ? Notice, he looked on me. God looks down and smiles upon us with favor. And he wants you to pray and worship him. Burn incense to him. When you come and depend it, think about it. If you're a parent, you know when your kids come to you and ask for help, doesn't that make you feel good? That they actually thought you knew something? 
fathers will know what I'm talking about. Because they actually think that you're stupid until they get old enough to realize that you did know something. Not always. But coming to the Father in prayer, learning to be dependent, will remove your barrenness. It is removing your reproach. It is unwrapping you from self because you're admitting that you don't know what you thought you knew. You can't do what you thought you could. You're not who you thought you were. And you know that you're hidden in Christ. Come to him. Believe him. Don't be unbelieving. Being unbelieving will put silence on you. It'll make you mute and speechless before people, and you're supposed to be witnesses. And if you believe it, you're going to tell somebody about it. Think about it. You've been talking about COVID. Think about it. You've been talking about the football team. Thinking about it. You talk about what you believe. Do you believe Jesus? Then talk about him. Be a witness. That's what you're called to be. Give testimony of what you believe. Draw a line in the sand and don't shut up. You've been sent. You've been sent to go and make disciples. Father, thank you for the greatest gift ever giving. Thank you that it keeps on giving. Thank you that it comes with power. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Open our eyes. Help us to be hearers and doers and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Help us to go and make disciples. In Jesus' name and for his glory. And everybody said, Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I